0: Texas seeks funding for a border wall on its southern border, but is this legal and what happens if it's not? Professor Eugene R. Fidel from New York University Law School joins us. I'm Lawrence Coletti, and this is Legal Talk Today. Welcome back, listeners. It's great being here with you. We're going to jump right into our topic today. But first, we need to thank our sponsor, NOTA. NOTA is powered by MT Bank because you went to law school to be a lawyer, not an accountant. Take advantage of NOTA, a no cost IOTA management tool that helps solo and small law firms track client funds down to the penny. Visit trustnota.com forward slash legal to learn more. And that's Noda spelled NOTA spelled N O T A. And remember, terms and conditions may apply. All right, let's say hello to our guest, Professor Eugene R. Fidel from New York University. Law School. Welcome to the show, Professor. Thanks. Nice to be with you. Well, Professor, thank you so much for joining us. And I do have an opening question for you. I noticed from your bio that you're a man of many parts. You're a adjunct professor at NYU Law School. You're a senior research scholar at Yale Law School. And of course, you're of counsel at the Washington, D.C. firm of Feldsman, Tucker, Liefer, and Fidel. Did I get the pronunciation of that correct? Yes, you did. That's perfect. Well, tell us about yourself. What do you do? I mean, you do all
1: these things, but uh, what's your day-to-day like? Well, uh, mostly it's involved with law practice and also scholarly activities. Uh, I've for many years become increasingly interested in international military justice, comparative law, and uh, that could be a full time job. It, it, it's almost a full time job for me at this point.
0: Okay. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Professor, we're going to talk about this border wall down in Texas and Texas wanting to take on the funding and building of this border wall where the uh, Trump administration outgoing left off. You know, Biden administration incoming said, no, we're not going to continue with this project. Texas wants to do it. So tell us about the origin story, because as as I've been reading in these uh, media reports, there's a little bit of a conflict here in terms of accounts. And by that, I mean, I hear there's no border wall building, and then I hear there's occasional spots where it's building. So what's going on here? What are the reasons that the governor of Texas is stepping in?
1: I think Governor Abbott has seized on this as a potent political ploy. Apparently, he's using the same playbook that former President Trump used to uh, sort of drum up political support and uh, claim that there's a crisis on the Texas-Mexico border, and Uh, you know, whether there is or not, maybe he has better intelligence than the federal government does. But I sort of doubt that I take the federal government's word over his for whether there's a crisis there.
0: Yeah, no, I have read, you know, some of the stats and in in some aspects in some areas, you know, the the illegal border crossings have more than doubled since last year. But, you know, that doesn't get us past all the legalities here. But uh, before we get into the legal side of this professor, you know, just in terms of scale, how much does a project like this
1: cost? You mean building a wall or sending troops to the border? Oh, yeah, building the wall. Talking about building the wall. Uh, more than you and I have. I'll put it that way. <laughs> it, it it would be a phenomenally, it would be like building the Great Wall of China or the pyramids or some major public works that would put a significant dent in the budget, even given the other things that we, we have to fund in the budget. Uh, you're talking about a major investment, then. It's an investment that uh, very few countries would make. Now,
0: as I understand it from my research, you know some of the funds are going to be coming from some reallocations of state funds. But the part that got the the news headlines was that they were going to raise private donations for this. So, how does that work? You know, who's responsible for collecting and then keeping track
1: of those funds? Well, step one is to consider that you're talking about state functions here rather than the federal government. So, if the state of South Dakota is sort of passing the hat to see who'll pony up some money to uh, send some South Dakota National Guard personnel to Texas. You do have to ask, you know, who is giving the money and why is the money being given? I mean, this is what we pay taxes for. And in fact, it's what we pay taxes for to the federal government, not to the state of South Dakota. There's a lot of issues arising from the sort of privatization that's been taking place. And if you We're wondering what the backdrop is for my video on this call. It's a picture of a private army. The uh, gentleman behind me is a distinguished-looking gentleman, uh, is the Duke of Athol, and the other people in the picture are his private army. His ancestors were granted the right to have the last private army in Great Britain by Queen Victoria. (laughs) And and what we're seeing in South Dakota now is kind of the equivalent of the private army, except instead of the uh, person in charge being a hereditary nobleman, it's some billionaire who doesn't even live in South Dakota. So it's all very weird.
0: Well, that's a great transition into that whole federal versus state question that I had here. You know, and generally speaking, Professor, you know, the federal government is solely responsible for enforcing the national border. But in instances where maybe Texas or other states determine, hey, can you do a little bit more? And uh, maybe they complain about it. Are they allowed to step up a little bit, add support, or are they
1: absolutely uh, preempted by federal law? If they haven't been asked, they should keep their hands off. I mean, imagine if, suppose you're trying to fix a car, right? And some guy comes along and says, here, let me help you with that. (laughs) While you've got the hood open, you know, this total intermeddler, just uh, pushes you away or just gets alongside you and starts uh, starts doing an overhaul. Well, you can't allow that. I mean, what better way to gum things up in an environment that could be pretty dangerous for all concerned uh, than to have somebody else answering to a different supervisor, a different superior, you know, purporting to help you? That's not a good thing. That's a dreadful thing.
0: Yeah, you know, and I've seen some of the videos of the border crossings, you know, in, in each location is a little different. But some of the videos I've seen, you know, uh, water up pretty high, you know, going through pretty quick and you, know, you see infants trying to cross. So it is not a safe situation everywhere to come across uh, unauthorized. But, you know, your example right there—that is the state of Texas absolutely forbidden from jumping in? If they recognize a problem on their border, they're seeing drownings and, and things like that. Are they absolutely forbidden
1: from building a barrier to discourage people from coming across? Uh, in my opinion, they are okay. uh, the, the border. The border is a federal function. Now, once upon a time, once upon a time, the border between Texas and Mexico was an international border between the Republic of Texas and Mexico. That's right. That's right. But, but that ended in, I think, 1846. So, you know, it is a federal boundary. And that's who has the responsibility. Now, is uh, Texas Fish and Game uh, entitled to uh, put a boat in the water and save lives? I suppose so, unless it got in the way of the Federal Border Patrol. Is South Dakota going to send South Dakota Fish and Game personnel with their outboard motorboats to uh, ply the waters of the the international boundary? I really hope that doesn't happen. Uh, All of this is something out of an operetta, except... It's dangerous because this is a potentially hazardous situation for our border patrol force, uh, for National Guard personnel, and for the people who, uh, for whatever reason, are trying to enter the, the United States. It's a federal responsibility. It's as simple as that.
0: Let me put a little spin on my question because, you know, we've seen in recent, uh, in the recent year and a half or so, you know, there's been this rise of states flexing their muscle for power, you know, with COVID, you know, governors and mayors, you know, declared emergencies and they shut things down. They do... The things that they can't normally do under normal circumstances. And I read something in my uh, in my research that uh, the disaster declarations in Texas, you know, do allow for the governor to do a disaster declaration for man-made disasters. Now, does that, and kind of given the trend here, does that change your analysis there? If they see an emergency in certain spots and they say, "Hey, you know what, this is probably the best thing we can do. We can bring in some national guard troops from other places. We can put up some barriers. Does that change the analysis there, given this sort of recent flex of state muscle?
1: Not really. Obviously, if the federal government's resources are for some reason outstripped, which it's hard to imagine <laughs> given right, the number right. of people in uniform in the in the Defense Department. But if it were outstripped for some reason, suppose you had multiple crises around the country, you know, an earthquake, fire or something like that, and a problem on the border and the federal government says, you know, Governor Abbott, we're calling up either you call up the National Guard to do X, Y and Z, or we're going to call up. The National Guard to do X, Y, and Z, in which case we'll pay them, by the way. But there are times when the federal government can call upon state resources, and it's the state's obligation to answer that call. But that's very, very different from the state saying, no, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, Mr. President. I got this one. <laughs> it's not, it's not like two outfielders in a in a baseball stadium. Uh, saying, I got it. These players are not all equal. This The federal government is the superior. That's why we have a federal government with federal responsibilities and the state can't get out of its lane. That's the point. And that's why this is so important. And you, your your point about how states have been basically sort of hassling and getting in the way of the federal government on one issue uh, after another, whether it's COVID vaccination or, or other things, we've had this actually. Across American history, we had something in the 19th century called the nullification crisis, where I think South Carolina thought, well, we can just say federal law doesn't apply. You may recall there was a civil war fought over uh, slavery. So, you know, there have been times when states have sort of gotten a little full of themselves. And states have a right to get full of themselves, you know, in some circumstances and under some constraints. After all, the states did get together to form. The federal government. But the deal that was struck in Philadelphia in 1787 gave the federal government primacy in a variety of areas. And one of them is national defense, another is control over immigration. So yes, uh, is there some playing footsie by uh, particularly Republican governors? Of course there is. And uh, they're, I think, singing a tune for which uh, former President Trump wrote the sheet music Uh, I think it's a most unwise exercise and really runs against the entire concept of having a federal government. Yes, we have states and we call them sovereigns. But at the end of the day, the supremacy clause makes the federal government supreme. And where the states get out of their lane, it's for the federal government to push back and say, no, thanks. Stay where you are. We got this one.
0: Well, let's talk about some of the downside liabilities. So let's say that uh, Governor Abbott moves forward with this, starts, you know, building these barriers uh, despite a lot of objections, despite maybe some court cases. And later on, the court system determines, hey, what you're doing is unlawful. You know, what are the penalties? I mean, like, what's the possible downside for Governor Abbott? I mean, are we talking, you know, civil offense here? We're we talking a criminal defense? I mean, you know, if he builds it and then all of a sudden he has to stop, what are the
1: consequences? Well, uh, th- th- there may be political consequences here. <laughs> He could prove to be a hero in Texas, at least to his base. But, uh, you know, it's not a question of facing uh, criminal uh, sanctions unless he violated a court order. Now, the federal government could seek a court order for Governor Abbott and the governor of South Dakota to steer clear of the uh, Texas border and not get in the federal government's way. And that would be like the court orders that the federal government obtained during the desegregation process during the fifties and sixties. And, you know, there were governors who disobeyed court orders and they got held in contempt. Governor Ross Barnett, for example, uh, famously was held in contempt for violating an order of the federal court. So that's the exposure aside from the political exposure. If they want to make themselves heroes, you know, you want to be the Joan of Arc of Texas, a new Davy Crockett, whatever, God bless. But the federal government doesn't have to put up with that.
0: Well, I've just got one quick follow-up there, and then the last question to close it out. We're almost out of time, but one of the legal avenues that the governor was uh, looking at was this this notion of private property. And so a lot of the border is occupied by vast ranches, right? And so uh, in addition to crossing the national border, they're also crossing onto private property, and that was being used as a legal opportunity to jump on and grab people, illegal immigrants coming across because they're trespassing. And so does the federal government have the right to tell Texas not to enforce its own laws in regards to uh, trespass on a private property?
1: I think for a state to use its power to penalize trespassing on real estate, which is what you're talking about, for the purpose and with the effect of frustrating the administration of a federal program would be extremely problematic. And I think it would be forbidden by a federal court if matters came to a head. That's how I think that would play out. I think it would be an abusive use of a state power that, on normal and normal circumstances, would be completely unobjectionable. But you can take an unobjectionable state power and abuse it in a way that no one ever intended. And to use state trespass law as a way of frustrating uh, federal programs for the protection of the border would, I think, not be a very appealing proposition to a federal district judge.
0: All right, last question for you. I don't know if you're a gambling man professor, but advocacy groups out there are already lining up to challenge Governor Abbott. And so two-part question on predictions real quick. You know, what are your predictions? Does Governor Abbott successfully raise all the funds he needs to to build this this wall and extra structures? And then do you think he ultimately succeeds in building it? What do you think?
1: Well, to the second part of your question, I don't think he will ultimately succeed in building. This really is a fool's errand that he's embarked on. Whether people will pony up with their hard-earned dollars is another matter. There, there may be billionaires out there who are willing to part with their money to pay the uh, the bus fare of South Dakota National Guardsmen to send them t- to Texas. <laughs> but to, to privately fund a major construction project or to do it by crowdfunding?
0: Uh uh-uh. Well, Professor, thank you so much for being here with us. I really enjoyed our conversation today. My pleasure. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. If you like today's episode, please leave us a review in your favorite podcasting app. And one more thank you to our sponsor, Nota. You can find them at TrustNoda.com forward slash legal. And that's Nota spelled N-O-T-A. And last but never least, thank you to our team producer, Molly McDonough, and our LTN audio crew for all their hard work. This has been Legal Talk today. I'm Lawrence Coletti. Have a great day, everybody. <laughs>